Hey friends, you're listening to How to Win a Campaign, where you get an insider's perspective that teaches you not only how to run, but how to win. I'm Joe Fold. And I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. Welcome and thanks for listening to episode three of How to Win a Campaign. If you haven't heard our second episode with Mayor Anise Parker about running for office, it's totally worth a listen. She ran 11 times, won nine of those times, and had some great insight on what it actually takes to be a candidate uh, in running for office and balance sort of a candidate work personal life balance. It's a great listen if you haven't listened to it already. It's unbelievable, like candidates and how they can actually find any balance at all in running for office and having a life, and she is able to do it. We're really excited about this episode. This one, we're really going to answer questions with our great guest, Margie O'Mero, on messaging, how messaging really is put together in a campaign, what tools you use, like a message box or polling, to build that message And what are the main challenges for creating a message? How do you ensure your message doesn't get misinterpreted? Really thinking about, do you need polling? Can you afford it to really build a message in your campaign? Also, the idea of incorporating your message throughout everything you do, whether it's a stump speech, whether it's door-to-door, and the best practice for doing that. Yeah, your message is really the core thing that you are trying to get voters to remember about you. We often tell our our participants, right, that a, a voter needs to hear your message anywhere from eight to 12 times, whether that's through direct mail, whether that's through social, whether that's knocking on their door or calling them at their home, right? They need to hear it multiple times before they actually start to, it actually starts to resonate and they really start to attach your message to you as a candidate. And so honing in what that specific message is and being able to repeat, repeat, repeat that on multiple ways in which you're doing some voter contact is really, really important. Right. And you want to think about that message as an umbrella that covers issues that you're going to be talking about and allows you to pivot to different issues, but keep it together with that centralized thematic message that engages voters. Remembering that the message really has to relate and engage with them. It's not about you, it's about the voter. So really developing that message is not easy, but you've got to know your story and know your community and really understand how that message is going to break down in the campaign. And we use an exercise using a Tolly message box that we have a couple of blogs on our website about at thecampaignworkshop.com. Feel free to check those out. But it really sort of centers the voter for you to understand and get a sort of visual of what are you saying about yourself as a candidate? What are the positives you are highlighting? What are you saying about your opponent? So what are voters hearing about what you're contrasting with your opponent? And then on the flip side, what is your opponent saying about you? How are they framing your campaign? And how are they framing themselves? So this way, as you're thinking about your message, you're really getting what is the voter hearing from all four sides of that that, uh, message box so that you can then hone in on a message highlights your positives while also countering what they may be saying about your campaign. Yeah, we don't do a campaign here at the Campaign Workshop without doing a message box first. It's one of our processes that we go through. And regardless of what political consultant you hire, every campaign that you work on or you're a part of should have a message box as part of the ways that you begin that campaign. 
In this interview, we dig in deep. We talk a lot about polling. But what I'll also say is we also talk a bit about what happens if you don't have a poll and how do you best put together a campaign without that resource? And it's really, you want to think about that message box. You want to really think about listening and understanding what the differences are between the candidates. So you really can create that compelling contrast. And it doesn't have to be a direct one, but a good tacit contrast can make a huge difference in a campaign. Yeah. And and the message box also really helps you, as Joe said, right? You create this before you, if you were going to utilize polling, right? Before you, you, you write out the questions or the messages you're going to be testing on polling, because they will likely come from this message box exercise, right? And you'll be able to see which messages poll better or which messages test better with your audience based on some of this polling. So you'll be able to hone in. How do you actually say that you're going to be a fighter for your community? How do you actually talk about your experience as being uh, a teacher or a firefighter or a community member and and what part of your story actually resonates the most with voters and using this message box to help you figure out what to test in your polling is really, really helpful. Absolutely. I think of polling as the final research tool. I think of the message box as an organizational tool, right, to get to that point. And it might be that you're in a campaign where you don't have that research and you got to turn that organizational tool into your fundamental core messages. And then you want to prioritize your message box. But if you have the ability to do polling or focus groups, that nice first step of getting everything in one place is so important. Yeah. And if, if as a candidate, you can't afford polling, right? They, they can be sometimes pretty expensive. There are other ways of creative ways of figuring out how to hone in that message after you've done the message box and basically testing the the pieces of your story or the pieces or the way in which you talk about issues, whether that's on the doors, whether that's through your social media platforms and in whatever way you're engaging with the voters that you're communicating with will allow you to sort of see when I say it this way, does it resonate stronger with voters than when I say it a different way? Or when I talk about my my personal story and highlight my work experience versus my values, right? What is actually resonating with folks and what are folks, uh, voters in particular, engaging more with? And it allows you to sort of hone in that message. So by the time you get to election day, right, you have a, a strong message that you want to continue to repeat over and over and over again to that target audience of voters. Yeah, well, listen, this was a great interview. It was a lot of fun to talk with Margie. She's awesome. We hope this conversation gave you a little bit of sense of how to hone in on that message, as we said, and really dig into creating a campaign message or a poll to get more information for your campaign and connect with the right voters. So now here's our interview with Margie O'Meara. Welcome back to How to Win a Campaign. And today I've got my guest, Margie O'Meara. Margie's a principal at GBAO Strategies, a Democratic polling firm. She has over two decades of experience in qualitative and quantitative research to inform strategic advice for Democratic candidates, nonprofits, and advocacy groups. She's worked with Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, the DNC, the DCCC, Emily's List, Center for American Progress, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and Everytown for Gun Safety. She's worked on issues like immigration, guns, the Kavanaugh hearings, the special counsel investigation, race issues, abortion, uh, you name it. And she is 
also a co-host of her podcast called The Pollsters. Margie O'Meara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And if you want to, I don't know how this would make you feel, Joe, but I've known you for most of those 20 years. We've known each other almost that long. <laughs> that is like amazing. Maybe it makes you feel young. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I, the first time like I remember meeting you, I mean, we could try and do this, yeah. is when you were working for Mark Melman. Yeah. I think that is when we That's first met. That's a long met. time ago. Yeah, that is, that is a long time ago. 20 years in this business and 20 years of you being a pollster. I mean, that is a that is a long time. It was my first paying job out of college. What is the most challenging part of being a pollster? You know, one part that is great is that you get to do all kinds of different things. You know, you deal with clients, you write, you crunch numbers and look through data sets, you talk to voters, you tell stories. I mean, there's all this, you know, you have to learn about a variety of different topics. It's not any one area. So uh, that part, the generalist piece, I, I really like, but it, it does it does mean that, you know, you have to learn about a lot of different things. So that part can be challenging. I think one of the main challenges that we've had in polling that has been true, you know, for the 20 years I've been doing this is keeping respondents on the phone and adjusting to where voters are and how to reach them and explaining complicated policy and political conversations to in a way that voters can understand. So there's all kinds of nuance to the stories and policies and debates that we have here. But that doesn't mean that voters are interested or they have a different job. We have this job, they have a different job that's not understanding the different nuances. So being able to explain that in a way that's clear is an important part of the job too. So does a candidate need a poll to come up with a good message? Where does the message come from? Ideally, a candidate should have an idea of why they're running for office. They should have something they want to say. It should make sense kind of on its own. Sometimes it needs some tweaks. I mean, sometimes people are running because there's something personal that they want to talk about and not everybody wants to hear that. Or maybe the candidates are shy about saying something personal, but actually voters really want to know that story because that story is really compelling. So people can approach their reason of running to run for office in different ways, but it, it should start there. Obviously, I think everyone should have a pollster. It's good to test your assumptions. Sometimes we learn things and subtleties that we wouldn't have been able to guess and that polling helps us figure it out. And if we had done a kind of not good enough poll, like a hundred interviews done in a, you know, kind of sketchy methodology, that might give us a false positive or a false negative. You, you, you're not sure if it would be better to just go with your gut at that point if you have good advisors. But you don't need a pollster to tell you what to say, but sometimes a pollster can help you revise of all the things that you want to say, which ones voters find most appealing. And so what if you're a campaign and you don't have money for a poll? What's a replacement for that? There are a couple things. One, you should, you know, you can talk to some pollsters about other kinds of options, right? Sometimes there are options that include texting or online that can help you get a sense of the area in a way that's cost effective or a hybrid method of doing a, a portion with landlines and a portion online. And so you're able to reach people. It's reaching people on cell phones that drives costs up. Like that's the part that's really very expensive because according to federal law, you have to use a 
live person to make to dial. You can't use an auto dialer to get someone on the phone the way you can with a landline. You have to have someone actually manually dialing cell phones, and so that just drives costs up. So if you can minimize the cell phone cost by using some other methodology, that can sometimes make things a little bit less expensive. But there are lots of very cheap ways. They're not all necessarily good ways. So I think if you don't have the funds for a poll that includes some live interviews or at least some attention to the voter file and some attention to your sampling with somebody who does this for a living, I think it might be better to just not do a poll because I I caution people from going in the wrong direction. I've seen polls, you know, send people in the wrong direction. And if you don't have a professional writing your questions on top of that, then you don't really know exactly about the interpretation that you might get as a result. You talked a little bit about like how important methodology is, how important the person writing the the poll is. So what is the difference between a good pollster and a bad pollster? Right. When you're you've been doing your work for 20 years, I'd like to say you're a good pollster. Right. And I can say that. I'm sure you say that, too. <laughs> I do say that. <laughs> and that's good. As you And you are. But my question is, right, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're right. running for office, how should a client, a campaign manager, yep. a candidate like figure that out? How do they know? So if you're talking to somebody, obviously, if they just pick up the phone, you know, they may not be completely familiar with your race at that moment. But let's just say you've given the pollster a little bit of time and say, okay, I want to talk about polling. They should come to you with an awareness of how the election works in your area. It depends on when you're running for office. It depends, you know, obviously elections and voting work differently all over the country. They should know if your state has party registration or not, or same-day registration or not, or what have you, or what else is on the ticket, or if it's a battleground state, all those things. Like, your pollster should come to the table knowing all of that, like, cold is kind of table stakes of what they come to the table knowing about. And they should be able to talk about turnout, turnout scenarios, what elections have looked like in the past, what their own theories are about how the race might look, but also there to listen to. So not simply to say, oh, thanks for calling me. Here, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think this is about. I mean, I don't know. I guess some people do that and they may be good pollsters. I, it's not my approach. And when you were talking to somebody, you, you're there to listen, just like I listen to voters. I want to listen to what candidates want to say because they live there. I don't. So I, I want to hear what their perspectives are as well and what they think they want this race to be about. Yeah. And I mean, a big part of what you're hiring the pollster for is for the help in honing your message right. and getting that good message down. So how do you know Margie, what a good message is versus a bad message. Before you test it, I mean, you test it, then you see if it's a test well or not. But one way is, does it mean, I mean, does it mean the same thing to whoever you read it to, right? Is it conveying what you want it to? Sometimes people can read something and it means something completely different to them. And if that's the case, then it's not worded clearly enough. And I guess it depends on what your message is trying to do. Is it activating the base? Is it in a primary? Is it trying to persuade folks in the persuadable middle? Are you give, trying to give permission to people who have voted for an incumbent a long time to vote for someone else? If that's the case, you don't want to give them a message that says this person is a bum, you know, because voters have voted for this person. So if you're saying this person's a bum, they've always been a bum, then, you know, you are 
not welcoming people into the fold. And that I think is important messaging too. Again, it depends on the district and, and the election, but it, it it's all those considerations are, are what you should expect from your pollster. And it just is completely custom. It's not simply, you know, cookie cutter. Now, at the same time, I guess the last piece of it is if you're trying to explain some of these common policies and messages there, there is a lingo to some of this that if you're not careful, you could end up all of a sudden feeling like being in a situation where you are saying that you are for something you are not. I, I, I have to strain to think of an example of that off the top of my head, but there's some specialized language that comes from kind of experience in the area. Like, for example, I had someone on a team, this was years ago, and they were just like talking about voter outreach and, you know, like just voting in general. And they wrote something in there about election fraud or voter fraud. I was like, you know, this was a little bit long time ago. It wasn't kind of in recent times where it's truly partisan. So at the time, not everybody kind of knew that voter fraud was like a partisan code that folks on the right talk a lot more about voter fraud than folks on the left. They just thought that they were like, we should eliminate fraud here too, you know? And so this is the kind of thing that if you've been doing this a long time, you say, well, that phrase might mean something that you don't intend for it to mean. How do you make sure that they're taking away from the poll what they need to take away from? I think people draw sometimes different conclusions from polling. I'm sure you've had this with clients. Like, how do you, how do you as a political professional get the client to focus on the right outcomes from the poll? I mean, it's part of it is what you highlight in the deck and in your presentation. And, you know, we put together, you know, really nice PowerPoint. We have key findings. We have themes that we reiterate throughout. Ideally, I, I like to present in person. It's not always possible. I'll present over the phone. It's certainly better than just sending an email and saying, good luck. You know, <laughs> um, you want to really walk them through it. And not everybody looks at PowerPoint decks all day. So it's better to have someone kind of walk you through it and, and explain what you see. And you want to be part of the team throughout, ideally. And, and all teams work differently. And, you know, teams have different needs and demands. But if I'm part of a team that is in frequent communication, they'll send me press releases, speeches, direct mail pieces, mail plans, you know, GOTV call scripts, television scripts, you name it. And I usually edit them. Like, I don't edit every single thing. But I, you know, I often, I can't help myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I like to kind of break out the red pen for some of that. And some of it's based on polling. And some of it is just based on, you know, helping make the language tighter. And that's why it's good to have a team that you feel can work together and, you know, accepts feedback and gives feedback and is engaged. uh, Because then, you know, then you're able to get a better product if everybody, you know, kind of works together on these things. For sure. And I mean, incorporating that message, that message shouldn't just go in a drawer somewhere, right? Right. It's got to, as you said, go in the press release, go in the door-to-door script, go in the television spot or the digital ad. And making sure that there is that discipline to have that message go throughout is, to me, a key of of winning a campaign right. is making sure you have that message discipline. Right, exactly. And it, it just, it makes a big impact. I mean, when I first started my business, and this was a long time ago, and I remember one of the first presentations I did, and I went in person, flew to the state, I did the presentation, I left them a printed copy of the deck, and they said, this is great. The last bolster we had just gave us cross tabs, and we never saw him again. <laughs> like this, you know, I can't believe you gave us a thing, you know, so... It makes a difference to have somebody 
walk you through what it means because it's not simply about, well, 35% said this and 36% said that, but if you look at this group, then it's 32%. That's maybe there's a story in there, but you know, I, we want to have the numbers come to life a little bit. For sure. So you have a podcast yeah. called The Pollsters. Yeah which I'm a fan of. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the podcast and what you do on the podcast. So it's bipartisan and we are almost coming up on five years. I think we're going to have like a five year anniversary for the party for the pollsters. So we've been doing it for a long time. So it's me and a Republican pollster, Kristen Soltis-Anderson, who is a Fox News contributor and a Washington Examiner columnist and is out and about all over. And so she and I had seen each other in like green rooms and panels and things where we would be together as the DNR on something. And we were doing a State of the Union coverage, like NPR, State of the Union coverage now almost five years ago. And I said, I want to talk to you. I have an idea because I had looked online. I didn't see any podcasts that were bipartisan, two women bipartisan, none, right? And I didn't see any about polling. Now, neither of those things are true anymore. But five years ago, there was just zero and zero in both of those buckets. And so that was my pitch. I barely got to the end of the sentence. And she was like, yes, this this is what we need to do. I'm like, there's no polling podcast. There's no bipartisan women's podcast. She's like, sold, done. So we started to put it together. And, you know, we, we knew each other before, but we became friendly and developed a chemistry as a result of doing this now for a long time. And we try to kind of follow an arc of our episodes where we, you know, start off by saying like, here are what the top lines are, kind of like a memo, like a polling memo, the top lines. And then we have a couple different topics and then we have key findings and we can't always do it exactly that way. But that's our goal, our aspiration. And we have at the end something like something, some garbage poll, but doesn't matter what the methodology is like most annoying Christmas song or what do you think of man buns or whatever is out there. I mean, <laughs> there's no shortage of that. The internet is filled with garbage polls, you with know, bad like, polls. The, yep. okay. like that are done for publicity or like on a newspaper website, whatever. So there's just always whatever we find ridiculous. We put at the end, but we try to check in on like impeachment and the primary and Trump's approval rating and then whatever kind of big topics are happening. And it's fun. It's like, it's a good exercise to kind of go through all the public polls every week and we've had a lot of fun doing it and we try to keep it a little light so, but it's a you know it's a passion project and labor of love as you know yeah well margie mara thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today it's great to have you on the show and uh i uh, look forward to talking again soon yeah thank you take care and we're back Thanks again to Margie Omero for chatting with us. Some of my favorite takeaways about this interview were how to use polling to refine your campaign message. You want to remember that a poll can help you figure out how to frame your message and prioritize your issues. You may think a certain message or issue matters a lot to folks, but a poll is really going to tell you how. Once you nail down your message, put it to use, repeat it, over and over and over again. Yeah, Joe, to that point, I mean, as a candidate, you're going to be bringing in, right, the things that you are passionate about and why you're running for office. And they they may or may not be the same things that your community is passionate about, right? And so a poll to refine your message is really helpful, but it's not to say that you can't bring your own sort of personal passions to this, right? So you may be running on the environment or ending corruption, but what's really important to your 
voters is education or healthcare. And so for you, you want to be using this poll of how do you figure out a theme that marries those so that you're able to craft a message that both brings your passions and the community concerns together, not necessarily needing to put one over the other. Yeah, that's right. You want to keep it simple. Talk to voters in a language they understand. It's not enough to talk about the right issues. If voters don't understand what you're saying, you're never going to get your point across. Keep your message simple, stay out of the weeds, and as Margie said, test messages that reflect the way people actually talk and think about things. And you could really do that, Joe, right? Like as the candidates are knocking on doors, right? As you start to test different language, see what is actually resonating with the folks at the doors. What are they asking questions about? Are they really understanding what you're saying? I think that's a super helpful tool. Absolutely. The, I like to think of canvassing as an ongoing tracking poll. A lot of it is really anecdotal data, but it is also actionable that can let you really figure out how are people paying attention to me? Are they listening to what I'm saying? Are there things that I said at one door that people really responded to? How do I keep engagement up? The other thing too that I want folks to think about if you're hiring a pollster is just that a good pollster is a team player. They're not just there to field a poll and go away or have the poll be on a hard drive or in a drawer somewhere. You want the pollster to be asking questions of you to make sure you're asking questions of them, getting real buy-in. They understand the nuances of all of the polling data that you've now generated. So having them be a real resource is super important. And also thinking about how do you utilize them as a mentor or a learning opportunity for you and your campaign, right? So as we're continuing to think about campaigns beyond our own, we want to make sure that our staffers, who may be a first-time staffer on your campaign, how do we teach them how to look at a poll? What does it mean how to work with a pollster? So also be thinking about that when you're dealing with your pollster, right? You're paying these folks for their brain and their time, so utilize it wisely. Yeah, I mean, one of those things is if you've never read a crosstab before and you're a first-time campaign manager, ask the pollster how to read a crosstab. Have them walk you through how to do that. Joe, what's a crosstab? What is a crosstab? Crosstab is a big stack of paper that is usually sent to you in a PDF. But in reality, what that stack of paper is, is two questions that are run against each other. It could be demographic data run against a question. And for you to really understand what are trends deep in the data, you have to look at the crosstabs. The pollsters do this themselves, but the benefit, and I think it's really important, is for everyone who's a manager to really be able to look at these as well. So you can ask questions and say, oh, how do these different pieces of data reflect each other? Is there a trend that I'm missing? And frankly, it allows you to go back to your pollster and say, hey, there might not be this crosstab here for a question that I was interested in. Can you run that for me? Have those conversations with your pollster. So the other piece here, which I think is really important, is if you're going to vest in a poll, do it right. If you can't afford to do a poll and you're really thinking that you're going to do something really cheaply, it might not be the right thing for you to poll in your race, right? You want to think about that. And I think asking pollsters, different pollsters about the methodology that they're going to do, about whether your race is right to do a poll, there are some campaigns where they're just going to be too small for polling to really be reflective. 
we think it's super important to have representative samples. Ask your pollster about that. We see more hybrid surveys, which are phone, online. Think about that. And you want to make sure that you reduce the number of questions so that people actually stay on the phone and answer the surveys. Polling can seem very, very complicated, but it's also really, really useful if you're able to do it and do it right. So hopefully this helped you hone in on your message for your campaign. In our next episode, we're going to be talking to Claire Stein Ross, a principal over at CSR Operations, really about the logistics of HR in setting up your campaign. We're going to dive into effective hiring processes, onboarding, managing of staff to get those as streamlined as possible so that you can really spend your time talking to voters and hopefully winning. But until next time, this is Martin Diego Garcia. And Joe Fold breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Hope Rohrbach, Daniel Lamb, Heidi Job, and Elena Veach. Music by Mike Pinto. Sound editing by Junto Media. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.